Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. This week on Living Free Show, we'll focus on how Alcoholics Anonymous helps alcoholics and problem drinkers. Today, because of the coronavirus restrictions, I'm interviewing from home via Zoom again. So I'd like to welcome Kerry to the show. Hi, Kerry. Hi, Bill. How are you? Good. Uh, Kerry's an alcoholic and she's recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Kerry, as we're in the COVID-19 restrictions, do you want to just talk quickly about what you're doing differently now during coronavirus than normal AA meetings, how it's affecting you and how it's affecting the fellowship? Good afternoon, everybody. Um, Yeah, the coronavirus um, actually, when we talk about AA, when you're a problem drinker, you tend to isolate a lot and, you know, they're telling us that we need to stay in our homes and stuff like that and isolation is a big part of um, problem drinkers and alcoholics. I've managed to um, be able to link in online through Zoom. I'm doing a uh, 24 hours, seven days a week hook up with uh, 319, they call it in California. It's wonderful. I get to speak to people all over the world in the fellowship, especially when I'm not running pretty good. Um, I can, you know, hook up at one in the morning if I can't sleep, you know, and I'm, I've, I've always got someone on the other end of my phone that I can speak to. I've managed to learn how to paint and be a bit more creative. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's any relevance to AA, but um, it helps me get out of myself. Um, I love painting and I've, uh, I've learned how to do a lot of that. And um, I'm a keen gardener, do a lot of gardening. But as, as far as um, AA goes, now that they've lifted the restrictions a little bit more, you know, they're saying we can have 10 people in a room. Well, when you congregate with AA members, it's more than that. You know, we generally get maybe over 50 or 60 members in one meeting. So we still have to do it on Zoom. But um, that connection just to see another person's face on Zoom and it helps us to stay connected. And this meeting overseas has, um, has given me a really good insight into my alcoholism. I'm not the only one. There are millions and millions of people all over this world who are suffering from addiction today. And it's tough because, you know, we're told you have to stay indoors. You have to stay 1.5 metres apart from everybody. Who wants to do that? The opposite to, you know, addiction is connection for me. And I love staying connected to the fellowship, even though it's on Zoom. You know, we had yesterday where... We had a funny hat day overseas and everybody, you know, went around their homes looking for hats and there were funny ones and, you know, some guy put a lampshade over his head and it looked really, you know, really funny. Everyone was killing himself laughing. But um, staying connected through the fellowship, I mean, I think this was something that had to happen. They're still going to continue doing the Zoom meetings when the restrictions are lifted. Um, and this Zoom meeting will continue. Love it. Just love it. I spent most of my day yesterday on Zoom chatting to people and, you know, Mm -hmm. I would stand in the kitchen previously with my drinking and I'd have, you know, a bottle of red and one waiting for me, you know, and it always turned into chaos. Now I don't have to do that. Um, With the help of AA and the fellowship, you know, they've taught me that, Things can change and there is hope and I have hope today. Okay. Um, well, so what if we um, start talking about what it was like growing up and your family and if you had any alcoholics or drug addiction or gambling or food addictions in your family? When you're growing up? Yeah, I come from a family of uh, four. Um, I'm the youngest of four and um, alcoholism is definitely in my um my patch of family members. Dad was an alcoholic. 
a smoker and an alcoholic. He he would, um, I remember he used to come home drunk quite a lot and he'd crawl through our bedroom window and he would be so drunk and we'd be just like, what's dad doing? You know, he's crawling along the floor there. What's going on? Crashing and bashing and a lot of stuff went on. And then I've got my brother who's um, who's had a long history with heroin, cocaine, alcohol, addiction. Um, he managed to get 10 years of sobriety, 11 years of sobriety. Have a brother who's um, has codependent issues. Um, he's got depression, but he he uses his time in building Harley motorcycles. He'll dismantle a Harley motorcycle and um, to the raw end of one piece, and he will build it back up to something absolutely amazing. And um, mm. I have a sister who's has had um, extreme eating disorder, OCD prescription pills um, and shopping addiction and, you know, that's nearly taken her life, um, especially the shopping addiction. So there is an element of um, mental health and addiction in my family and um, I do believe it's a DNA thing. You know, my my mum's mum was a heavy alcoholic and prescription pills and my mum's sister was the same. And I do believe, yeah, it just it runs in the family and um, I'm the youngest of four and does tend to skip a generation. I have a 29-year-old son who, who has a compulsion to gambling, but he's managed to come away from that. But it, it did get heavy for a while, but um, he's managed to, you know, nip that in the bud. So... Definitely, I don't think it's something you definitely wake up one day and go, oh, I'm going to be an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic for a reason, um, whether you've come from an abusive home or a destructive home or, you know, abandonment issues or the fear of loneliness. That can escalate your drinking if you're not taught right from wrong from a young age. But, I'm, you know, I'm extremely grateful that I've had my teachings through my past to be able to come this far. I'm 52 years old and, you know, I'm still here and I'm bloody grateful I'm here, really grateful I'm here. So um, what, was your, what was your childhood like? My childhood consisted of a lot of abandonment issues, you know. I lost my mum young when I was two, never got to live, you know, a life of, never got to live a young life with my mum she was taken very suddenly from us and um, she was 24 years of age and growing up I never felt I never felt I resembled anything you know I felt a lot of fear and I felt a lot of confusion I felt a lot of misconceptions about who I was and where I stand I never felt I fitted in I I just felt this inconsistency of um, not feeling adequate enough and never accepted as, mm. you know, anybody. And I think that came from the trauma of losing my mother. It was hard growing up. It wasn't easy. You know, we, as children, we, we weren't given the right tools to become, you know, the right people in society. We all, there was a lot of, abuse and discomfort and um you know and not and I never never I never gained self-worth growing up I never thought I was worth anything I never thought I was enough that's the word I'm looking for enough I never felt I was enough yeah um, did um what was it like at school did you have many friends I had an imaginary friend <laughs> um no I didn't have many friends at school I would always look in on groups of people at school and I would say to myself, I'd love to be in that realm of friends. But I always felt, I felt disconnected because I didn't have a sense of purpose. I didn't, I never felt I could trust easily. So putting myself out there in that configuration of, oh, there's a group of friends I could, you know, jump in with and be friendly with, didn't happen. I would always be on the outer and I always watched others having relationships in school that I wanted, but I was always too scared to put myself in there because I, 
I felt, you know, I felt if I did that, I would, why are they going to like me for? What have I got to offer them? I'm a nobody. So when did you start drinking? Look, I used to do drinking around the age of, I don't know, 15, 16. I used to, my sister and I used to go to the underground, which was in King Street in the city. And we, we would always, you know, have that weekend where we lost a shoe or a handbag or a, we'd be the ones walking out at 6am in the morning going, oh my God, what, you know, we've been in there all night. Um, my drinking really took off after I had my son at 24. It, was a constant part of my life every day. I still took on being a mother role, ha having the mother role and doing the mother role things of, you know, making sure my, my child got to school and giving a packed lunch and doing all that. But alcohol was always in the background. It was the feeder mm. for my emotional state. I thought if I took a drink every day, it would take away the fear of abandonment it would take away the fear of how I fitted into society I always fitted into this world of feeling the world is a dangerous place I don't like this world I don't like what it's consisted of and yeah my drinking just it it was you know I'd have one day where I drink heavily and then I'd have two days off and then I'd go back to daily 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 and then I'd stop and then I'd start and then I'd stop I remember I used to have a bottle of whiskey in in the bottom cupboard in our house where we lived in Essendon and you know that was my go-to oh you know I'd have a nip or two or half two or three shots and then I'd get in the car and go and pick up my son from school I always needed that that comfort from the drink mm. to make me feel like I, I, I fitted in and, and felt okay yeah. it was the wrong thing to do but that's what I did yeah. got me so, through so what about work how did that affect your work I think my my work suffered immensely through my drinking. Um, I always thought no one knew about my drinking. I always thought, you know, people people didn't know, but everybody knew. Everybody knew that I, I was a heavy drinker. Um, I'd turn up late to work. You know, I'd turn up to work looking terrible. You know, I got called in quite a few times from different jobs and... and was brought to my attention that, you know, what is going on in your personal life because you are not putting in your 100% with your job and we know you're drinking. We know that something is going on outside work. I would drive home. After, I could not wait to get loaded that afternoon. I would drive to the bottle shop, grab my, my wines or whatever I drank and I would drive home. We used to live in Craigieburn and I would drive home and I'd be sipping on that wine while I was driving home. And I used to scull it before I got home and I'd throw the bottle out. My son would get home from uni and I'd be half loaded. And he knew, he would know, but I didn't care. It's, I thought that was, I thought that was the way I lived my life. That was the way that I was able to live my life. But yeah, as it progressed, the drinking got worse and the jobs were few mm. and far between. I'd been told by one particular employer that, you know, you need to leave before we fire you. So I resigned and that was the last time I worked. That was quite a few years ago. And I've needed not to work to be able to get my life together and it's taken a long time. It's taken years. It's taken years to get my, get my head around where I'm at right now. Um, okay, well, so we might take a quick break. Exhibiting 300 artworks by 286 Indigenous artists currently in or recently released from prison in Victoria, Confined 11 serves as a strong visual metaphor for the over-representation of First Nations Australians in the criminal justice system. This year, The Torch presents the annual Confined exhibition online at thetorch.org.au. All artworks are for sale and 100% of the sale price goes directly to the artist. Help us paint a brighter future. Head to thetorch.org.au from May the 14th to explore Confined 11. A 3CR supporter. 
You could be anything of everything But I'd most of all be yourself From a private life so public As the tabloids caught your tears Being photographed within how tragic, but it doesn't have to be that way on the Burning Vinyl Alternative Music Program. Burning Vinyl, Fridays, 2 till 4pm on 3CR. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free show and how you can contact us. Alternatively, just call 3CR office on 039419-8377 and leave us a message. Today I'm talking with Kerry about recovery from alcoholism uh, with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so, Kerry, I, we sort of talked earlier about um, bringing up your son as as a single mum and and drinking at the same time. So, what was it like to have a young child, you know, going to school and having a job and drinking? What was that? That must have been very difficult for you. Oh, Bill, look, it was exhausting to be honest. When I say that. Because I couldn't put down the drink, the the, the drink, I, I could not get around the drinking and control it. I used to have to find ways of, you know, establishing that in my everyday life. So I never, ever took the morning drink. You know, we had an old Datsun, brown Datsun car that we would, you know, get around in. And um, I used to take my son every day to school. He always got to school, but there were days where... He would miss school because I was too hungover to take him to school. He lived a relatively good life, but um, raising him was difficult. Um, his dad was in and out of his life, but I was the main caregiver and um, I was drinking as well as that. I think he always knew his mum was an alcoholic. He suffered immensely through his growing years, even through primary school. That you know, I never, I never, I don't even think he ever t told any of his friends. But uh, you know, there'd be days I'd pick him up, pick him up, and he'd have the look of you know the fear of God in in his in his face. And I would think to myself, what's you know what's wrong with him? And he always knew that I was going to go home and drink. I'm pretty sure he always knew I was going to go home and drink. And he used to say to me, you know, I'd never know walking home from school whether mum's going to be okay, alive, on the floor. Many a times he found mm -hmm. me passed out. I would call it a, a Jekyll and Hyde growing up situation for him because he never knew what he was going to get on any given day. Did he ask you to stop drinking? Oh, yeah, on many occasions. We'd have many a times where he would, mm. I remember he would say to me, please stop drinking, Mum, please stop drinking. You're doing this again, you know, please stop. You're going to die from this. And I remember him, he used to work in a paint shop in Craigieburn and he ran home from, I forgot to pick him up that day and I think he thought that day that I was gone for all money with my drinking. We lived in Middle Park. Mill Park, sorry, and um, he ran home from that job that day terrified that I had drank too much. I never hid it from him. I w would always drink around him. I would always have, mm. you know, glasses of wine everywhere. But we just, we got on with, with, with our lives. We got on with our lives. He, he just fitted in, I think, to my drinking he fitted in he didn't have I mean he didn't have any way out of it yeah did he bring friends home from school he did Marcus was quite a popular kid at school he had a lot of friends and um 
he would always bring his friends over. He couldn't wait to have his friends over of an afternoon, you know, to play cricket in the backyard or, you know, just come over. But I, I would be in the kitchen with, you know, my glass of wine and just, whoa, here we go again and, you know, making dinner and... I never took the responsibility of being a, a, a proper parent. I was never available emotionally, never available emotionally because I was always drinking. So if an accident happened in the house where the, one of the kids got hurt, I wouldn't have been able to drive them to a hospital or, you know, I was always drunk. I was drunk every day, every day of my uh, of my years of of um, raising him, I was drinking and I would resent him for taking away my drinking time if he wanted to do something. So I'd make sure I had enough in my system, in my body, to be able to take him to where he needed to go. I know that sounds, that sounds quite awful, but I have to talk about the honest truth and the truth is that um, I was I neglected him. I neglected him growing up. I was always under the influence if I was driving him to cricket practice or footy practice or... Don't get me wrong, he always went. He always got there and got the job done, but I was under the influence. And to try and monitor you, 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 what you have to do on a daily basis when you're trying to drink as well, it's really difficult. You know, and it got to a point where I couldn't pick my moments anymore and when I cho cho chose to drink, because it took over my life, nearly killed me. It nearly killed me in the end. Did you suffer remorse and guilt because of your drinking with your son? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I see a lot of things in his behaviour today that reflect off my drinking. When I say that he has um, anxiety quite badly, he struggles mm -hmm. with, he would be the parent. So it was switched around. So he was the parent when, I, when he was growing up and I was the child. He was always trying to help me get better growing up. He would be the one that picked me up off the floor. He would be the one that, had to find me somewhere. He would be the one that was terrified of me drinking. And I have a lot of guilt and shame and remorse today. But the best thing that I can do today as a recovering alcoholic is to not drink just for today. And that gives me a sense of hope that he's recovering too. Because don't forget, while I'm in recovery, he's recovering too. He's recovering from the damage that I've done. All the damage and they don't forget. They don't forget what you've done. They never forget. It's always in their psyche. It's always in the back of their mind. I had an episode the other last week where we had a text together on the, uh, on the phone and I said to him, you know, hey, matey, how are you going? We always text each other. He does a three o'clock check-in with me just to help me if I'm struggling. And I said, tomorrow is a new day. And he sent me a message back saying, Mum, are you drinking? With a, <laughs> quest with a question mark times 10. And I said, no, I'm not. I won't tell you what I said. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. He said, oh, thank God. He said, you used to say that when you were drinking. So there's always moments. I call him my sobriety child mm. now. He doesn't know that. But I call him my sobriety child now because um, we're in this together. He's still by my side today. Mm. Through all the carnage and all the crashing and bashing, he's still by my side today. Yeah. So what, what caused you to reach out for help in AA? Because my life wasn't working on my terms. I, I, I looked around the rooms and I thought, hmm, hang on, something's, you know what, these people are happy. These people 
have changed their lives. These people are having things in their life that I want, better relationships, you know, um, a better sense of self, um, a better sense of understanding what alcoholism is. And I wanted that. Mm. I wanted that. And the penny dropped for me when I went into recovery nine months ago. I'd been in the rooms for 10 years, but, you know, I, I didn't take it seriously. I was still drinking while I was in the rooms and, um, you know, I would go in, I would do service work and I was never serious about my recovery. I always thought at the end of the day, you know what, I'll give myself a pat on the back and I'll have another drink because that's what you do as an alcoholic. You, you get, you try and find, you, how can I put it? You, you, I was in the room and I was thinking, okay, I'm doing a really good job mm. here. How about I give myself a pat on the back? And I'll go home and have a drink. That's the way I played it for quite a few years until I could see when I got into rehab and the structure of the program in rehab was they did AA. And I had enough sobriety to be able to see that the fellowship worked, that these people were getting sober a day at a time. 24 hours at a time, people were getting sober and people were happier and people didn't have the carnage they had previously and the misery that they had. I thought, you know what? I really like this fellowship. I like the fact that I don't have to walk into the rooms of AA before COVID had hit and lie about what I'd done the night before. Oh, I had a drink last night. And there's never any judgment in AA. AA is such, it's a place of connection and I found my connection mm. in the fellowship. Um, that's the one thing that I never had, connection with other people, people who understand, you know, what my life was like in active addiction. What was the, um, what was the thing that caused you to change your attitude in AA? Like, what was the thing that caused you to reach out and start taking it seriously? I was getting better. I was actually getting better. I was not having to reach for that next drink. I made, I made, I made connections with people that are now sobriety friends. Mm. And AA, AA, it just has... It washes over you. It's like, you know what, I can stay in the fellowship and I can continue to drink or I can stay in the fellowship and get serious about my recovery. And really, I found peace. And the penny dropped for me when I understood in AA that I am absolutely powerless over the first drink. I'm powerless. And it's not the one, it's never the first one that gets you drunk. It's always the second and third and fourth and fifth. It's not the first. So if you can go in to a day of clarity with 24 hours under your belt, get an, get an AA meeting under your belt, talk to mm. older sober members in the fellowship, you've got a chance. You've got a chance of, look, I don't want, I don't want the life back I got, I had. But I like the life I have now. I like the life of, I have now. And that's through, you know, the people in AA that have, have you know, they've, they've, they've shown me a, a, a different way of living, shown me a better way of living. In, in AA, most people talk about a rock bottom. So what was your rock bottom? My rock bottom was the, the night I felt my rock bottom I invited someone into my home and I believe there, there, um, there was carnage there that night and there were a lot of broken bottles and a lot of glass strewn everywhere and there was, there was some blood and that was a blackout for me. That was a total blackout for me and I got up the next day and I, I made a decision that day that I was going to make change. 
that night I thought I possibly could have hurt someone badly or killed someone. Um, and that's not a nice place to be. And I reached out to Turning Point, which helped me get into a detox, which helped me get into MARP in rehab. And um, I'd had enough, Phil. I had enough of the inability to be able to get through another day. The scrounging, the, you know, the addiction took so much away from me, took my, my ability to be able to function, not that I wasn't functioning while I was in active addiction, but my ability to be able to face each day, do I have to do this all over again? Another drink? Another blackout? Another, I have a better life today than what I had. And I love the fellowship because I'm able to, you know, hook up with people and there'll be many events that will come down the track. There'll be anniversary events. I can't wait till I get my one year sober. I'll be having mocktails, not cocktails. <laughs> um, and the fellowship, I'm grateful for the fellowship because they're the ones that got me through the hard times, you know. They're the ones that said... You don't have to pick up one drink for one day. That's all you have to do. One drink for one day. No matter, and I've heard in AA, I've heard so many people speak about their truth and so many things have happened in their life. They've seen, you know, they've lost jobs, they've lost family members, they've lost houses, they've, they're bankrupt. But they have sobriety today because they did not pick up that first drink. They've reached out before they picked up a drink mm. and they're still sober today. So I just believe, I believe in my own heart, AA Fellowship is a place that saved my life. Okay. Uh, awesome. We might take another short break. Many of you will be familiar with 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser. It's when you, our listeners, literally keep the station going with your generous donations. It's a vibrant and busy time each June at the station and an all-in effort from our volunteers, staff and supporters. But in 2020, under the COVID-19 restrictions, we need to do things a little bit differently. So stay tuned for our June Station Appeal. It'll be online, on point, and be asking those of you who can to make a donation to keep 3CR alive. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Every Monday from 11am on Community Radio 3CR. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio. Live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Kerry about recovering from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics mm -hmm. Anonymous. Uh, so Kerry, um, you said you went into rehab. So what's it like to be in rehab 
after you've been drinking for a long time. Is it a big change? Yeah, it is a big change. It well, it 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 basically it upsets the ability to be able to um, keep drinking, and I didn't like that in the start. I had to. I had to shut my my whole life down. Well, I don't see it as having a life when I was in active addiction, but it gave me the chance to be somewhere where I could, you know, I, I could have a bit of peace from my own head because all my head kept mm. telling me was just pick up another drink because that's all you know. You know, you're not worth anything. You're hopeless. You're worthless. It gave me a chance to help get my mental health right, to be able to connect with other people in addiction that understood what it was like for me and them. We had a lot of, um, we had a teacher in there, her name was Ruth, and Ruth did a class one afternoon and she said, I want you to write down all the people that you've come across in your drinking days that you had to call on, abused mentally, physically, whatever. And we had to write, she gave us half an hour or 40 minutes and we had to write down all the people that we came across in our drinking days that used up resources in the community. And people were just gobsmacked with what they came up with. Some people came up with 2,000, some came up with 500, some came up with, you know, 10,000. And I never really looked at it like, like I, I used to just think, because I'd have ambulances here all the time, you know, in my drinking, you know, where I'd pass out or something happened. And, um, you know, I took up valuable time of other, other resources, the resources out there, because I was drunk. You know, there could have been a car accident down the road, but the resources were used through me of being drunk and needing assistance. That was one thing. Another, I got, I, I just got the opportunity to be able to have some security, some people around me that I could fall back on, a safe place to rest my head, to navigate my alcoholism to really come to terms with the fact that I am an alcoholic and I have to remember that every day that I am alcoholic. It was on a beautiful um, property in Hillsville and you had peace of mind out there. You had the opportunity to really search for what you were looking for, search out who you really are. And I found, I found that in there. I found that in there. I knew before I left there that I wanted a better life. And the teachings of this place that I went to, they don't muck around. You're not in there to win friends or make friends. You're in there to get well and to get better and to realise that if you want to go out back out there and do the same thing, this disease will take you. It'll take you there, but it'll take you there slowly. My disease sits in the background for me. It sits in the background and it's patient, very patient. It'll wait, lame wait. I might not have cravings for a couple of days, but then they do come about. And when they come about, that's when I need to reach out and call and I was sober member of AA. So... I did do rehabs before, but they weren't, the rehabs I did previously were only about 12 weeks or, you know, three months or a month or this one I had the opportunity to do six months and that scared the hell out of me, but it, but it was worth it. It was so worth doing it. You know, I, I had, and I think the fact that, you know, I walked out of, out of that rehab with six months of sobriety six months of, I've never had six months of sobriety in my life and it was something to hold on to something to work towards to get another month up to get another day up to get another you know mm -hmm. I now have nine months I'm going on 10 months 
sober. And I cannot believe to this day I have 10 months sober. So what's it like in recovery, sitting with those uncomfortable feelings that you used, previously used alcohol to get rid of? Oh, boy. <laughs> it's a place no one in active addiction wants to be. Pain is horrible. No one wants to feel pain. No one wants to feel uncomfortable feelings. And I basically just had to learn that they call it, they call it this too shall pass. And... I never knew what, I never really understood what that meant. And that is, life's going to happen regardless. Life goes on. You know, the clock doesn't stop ticking because you're an addict or you're in active addiction. The world still goes on. People die. People marry. People lose jobs. People, the one tool that I learned in recovery was if you can't sit with this uncomfortable feeling, you're going to pick up a drink again. You have to learn the ability to have emotional regulation. And emotional regulation is hard. And when I say emotional regulation, someone could really tick you off, make you angry, send you loopy. And that would be a reason I would pick up a drink because you nicked me or you pissed me off today. I don't like you or, but I've learned, I have a choice today. I can sit in that uncomfortable feeling and it will pass. It does pass. It always has passed. You don't ever sit in pain mm. for too long. You don't ever sit in uncomfortability for too long because something else happens in your day. You're able to ride through that pain. The thing, the beauty for me is... My mental health has improved so much because when I was drinking, alcohol is a, is a depressant. So if you're taking antidepressants and you're drinking on top of that, your brain and your, your emotional state is not going to regulate pro properly. You're going to go from highs to lows, highs to lows. Now I can see my mental health has improved where I have stability in my emotional regulation. I can't pick up a drink because of what happened yesterday. I can't pick up a drink for my past. My past is gone. And I've had to sit in uncomfortable feelings today about my past, but it is okay to do that. It, you can do that. It's, it's, it's doable. And that's what's got me through my sobriety. It is doable. I would go, I don't want to feel that pain, I'll drink. I don't want to feel those feelings. It makes me feel uncomfortable. How about a drink? That'll ease the pain. It eases the pain temporarily, but the pain, you still got that same pain the next day. And that would top me up. You know, I'd, I'd top it up with, I don't want to feel that. That happened to me. I'm a victim. I'm, you know, I've had... So much happened to me in my life. I, I deserve a drink because of my past. So what does AA give you now that you didn't have before? So how's life changed for you? I've made long-term friends, Bill, something I've not had before. I believe I've got trust in the fellowship because nothing else worked for me. All, everything I tried out there didn't work. Everything. Medications, changing this, going to that doctor, seeing that psychologist. The one thing I found in AA is change comes from within. And you can fall back on your fellow members if you're struggling and they're there mm. for you. And they're sober. They're sober. They're not loaded and, you know, giving you advice. They're giving you advice through... What is, you know, what you can have if you just stay sober one day at a time. The fellowship has given me connection and I feel a sense of happiness that I have these people. I have a longer sober member who I call on. I call her my mama bear. And if I feel that I'm rough or not running well, she's always, I can ring her or text her 
she'll ring me straight back and let me know, you know what, it is okay. It's okay you're feeling that way today. It is okay. Just stick close to the rooms, you know, do the next right thing, be of benefit for someone else, try and carry the mm. message of recovery. I never thought I had recovery in me. I thought, no, I'm never going to get my recovery. It's not going to happen. But I saw what other people had. I saw the pain in other people. My story's a walk in the park to what I've heard in AA and why they drank and what happened to them. But they've been able to heal and they get that healing through the doors of AA. And I love the fact that they're, you know, I've been to many parties in AA where they don't serve cocktails, they do mocktails, you know. They're, they're just, they're connected. They're, they accept you for who you are. That's what they do. They accept you for who you are. They don't judge. They don't, you know, mm. you are you and the next person is, you know. I've watched people come into the fellowship that have, they've got jelly legs, you know, they're wobbly. They don't know what to do. They want to give up drinking, but they can't. And they are the people that are still in the fellowship today. They're still in the fellowship today because they've stuck close to the AA members. And, you know, you don't have to follow the 12. You know, the, there are the principles of AA, the steps of AA, but I don't take them off the wall. I do them in my own day. I do my gratitude list. I look at what I've got around me. And... I have, I have a good life today because I'm not drunk. You know, I'm not drunk today. I can, I have a purpose. I have a purpose today in life and I never thought that would be possible. So what, do you do any service work in AA? I was a treasurer at Murrumbina for about 12 months. I really enjoyed that. I'm currently a member at 319 in California, but I'm also um, part of the women's group, the Ashburton Women's Group, on a Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. When I first joined Marambina, I used to do the coffee and the biscuits. That, that helped to keep me in tune with AA. It helped to keep me responsible because some, sometimes you can lose that lack of responsibility and just having something to do, whether it's, you know, going and getting the biscuits and the coffee and opening up for a meeting, you know, helps the next person. Because if there's no meetings, there's no AA. You know, there's, there's members that have been in the fellowship for over 50 years and they've had horrific situations go on in their life because they chose... They chose the fellowship because nothing else was working and that's what I found. Nothing mm. else in my life I tried was working apart from AA. This disease lays dormant every day I wake up. It's in the back of my mind. It lays in wait for me and it's cunning. it is cunning, baffling and powerful because it's there when you least expect it. It jumps out like the boogeyman. And I've got to be on top of that 24-7. If, if I'm not on top of that, my recovery is going to suffer. Okay. Uh, so if you'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can find them on 1300 222 or you can go online at aa.org.au and you'll get more information and details of local AA meetings. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Kerry for coming onto the 3CR radio this afternoon and sharing her Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you, Kerry. Thank you, Bill. It was a pleasure. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from alcohol, drugs, gambling and food addictions and we'll be joined by members of another 12-step recovery fellowship. Thanks for listening and stay tuned now for Alternative. And to take us out, we've got a song called... Uh, to take us out... We've got another Emil Sand song. Uh, this one is called Suitcase. Did I see you 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.